I broadcast my revelation to the twelve states and four off-world colonies. And so to know thyself is only possible through the eyes of the other. I mean that I will always be. Our lives are not our own. From womb to tomb, we are bound to others. Past and present. And by each crime and every kindness, we birth our future. Revelation, you spoke of the consequences of an individual's life rippling throughout eternity. Does this mean that you believe in an afterlife? In a heaven or a hell? I believe death is only a door. When it closes, another opens. If I care to imagine heaven, I would imagine a door opening. And behind it, I would find him there, waiting for me. Welcome, everybody, to Aeon Bite. Welcome to the desert of the real. Yes, we still live in an absurd universe where men have nipples and other oddities we can't seem to understand, but it just means the simulation is broken. And will remain broken, so we must be the glitch in the matrix. We must be those who uh, spray graffiti upon the walls of Plato's cave to make a better universe. So that's what we're doing on this show. My name is Miguel Connor. I am still your pompous of gnosis, still struggling with the cold from my trip to Graceland and the crossroads and all these amazing places where I uh, found so many revelations and so many cool things, but I continue in my meat sack. And today I'm very excited to have producer, musician, and artist, and friend, and hopefully DJ to the next Astronosis Conference, and that is Rhyme. Rhyme, so great to have you on. Ohio gozaimasu, and good morning from Japan. Miguel, wow, hi. Uh, seriously, I am such a big fan and I know that as everyone's coming in or as, as everyone is also starting their playback because they couldn't make the live, um, just like me sometimes starting up their car, going on that little one and a half hour drive and going, it's Miguel and Moondog Man's time, let's go. And there's so many smiles and, and jokes and such deep potent poignant information that you have created on this platform that has given so many people access and and thoughts and new ideas and revelations and everything that you go through too so to share that and then to be a part of it now is uh is so beautiful and i'm just so excited for 
to be here for everyone coming in and going, okay, what's going to happen today? A good one. It's going to be a great show. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Honored. And of course, I enjoy your creations. I think they're amazing. And we need to share this more with the world. And with us, yes, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? Are you turning oh, Japanese? Do you really think so? <laughs> da, na, na, na. <laughs> I think I'm turning Japanese. You can't, you can't get away with Japanese. that song today. Damari Gato, Mr. Robato, and all that. No stuff. one either. <laughs> Mr. Robato, Domo Arigato. Oh, yeah, I admire the Japanese culture. You know, they, they mm. love their gadgets. They, 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 the greatest gadgets. And I'm a ham radio guy, and I love their radios and things mm. like that. It's, it's, amazing in the little things we watch mm. red burb on youtube by the way i don't know if you've ever seen him he's there's a guy who has these parrots and uh this uh you know they're, they're interesting and he has these little toys with the parrots and little little, little television sets that the parrots play with and everything can the parrot say birdie num num <laughs> uh, you know that would be a good trick now he pretty much says he says his own name he says uh red burb or something i think he says his own name mm. Gumi, okay. Gumi-chan, Gumi-chan, that's right. Yeah, Gumi-chan, that's his name, Gumi. Yeah. I'll have to yeah. check it out. And talking yeah. birds. I mean, really, on the topic of talking birds, um, as a young girl, really, growing up, as soon as I can remember, The Party has always been my favorite movie. Always. Really? Wow. It's so weird. That's why, like, when... That's so um, weird. Yeah, someone, uh, I don't know who, someone by the name of... Ruben Crew sent me this podcast many, many years ago. And that's how, and then I saw the Birdie Num Num and I was like, why? No one my age knows about this movie. No one even more than my age knows about it. And I would sit there just every day and watch it. And I just, the humor is so understandable for me. It's that not say too much, but it's the actions and the, the and that scene, the whole unfolding of that movie, wow, still my favorite today. So when I saw this Buddy Num Num stuff going on, I'm like, what is going on? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I was yeah. like, well, usually this is the intro. I don't play when the guest is female because of the mm. nipples and the homoerotic yeah, stuff. But I'm like, oh, Ryan, I know Ryan will dig it. So it's one of my favorite movies. And Peter Sellers is one of my favorite actors, probably. And, I've watched all his movies, and coincidentally, uh, Elvis Presley, that was his favorite uh, actor of all times. Oh. And, uh, yeah, Dr. Strangelove was his favorite movie. So he... Good taste. He loved, yeah, yeah, he loved anything yeah. by Kubrick. And Sellers, of course, was just a master in that movie. Oh, I like being there. That was <gasps> great. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Cool oh, such a great movie. I think I played it during my, like... 19th birthday I put it on a projector screen just you know as it started and then it just slowly descended into some more chaos I think it just put the right mood in the right uh in the right hour brilliant film brilliant film so tell us if you had to choose between your top five movies would you be able to provide a list it's always hard uh you know um this is kind of a funny small thing about me but I am not so much a movie person compared to a music person but mm. if I so when I say movies I don't want I'm gonna probably sound I'll I have my interesting references but then it's like oh I'm still a basic bitch with movies so of course <laughs> we have The Party um, with yeah. Peter Sellers, Labyrinth with David Bowie 
Mm. And um, I'm not good with actors. Uh, great with musicians, not good with actors. Um, of course, Harry Potter, duh. Mm. Um, everything Harry Potter. Um, Lord of the Rings, also. Right. And there is one more movie that, um, oh, yes, it's a movie and there's a big boat and um, there's, it's not the mask, but it's similar to the mask energy where there's like a drop dead Fred. Oh, of course. That's such a dark, it's a really dark movie. I watched oh, it as a child too. Uh, now as you get older, you're like, ooh, this is dark. This is yeah. dark. Drop Dead Fred. There's a reminder for anyone who hasn't seen that in a while. It's time to begin. But on the, from the young ones. The yeah. <laughs> but there's so many Japanese movies as well that I can really recommend. Um, there is, because uh, I've been getting into it, and I also did soundtracking for a Japanese film and anime. Mm. Yeah, that was really interesting experience, especially for the anime. They would send um, images of half-drawn uh, anime, so it was kind of sketches, and uh, like at the beginning of them piecing it together, and then uh, me and my partner would anim- do the music to that animation. So to see then the process of how it came out was really special. So you know, a lot goes into movies. Um, I mean, a lot goes into everything really. Um, a lot goes into life, basically. There's the metaphor already. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Awesome. Well, for the um, the next question I had is maybe. Briefly describe who you are. And, of course, we want to know. I know we, we talked about it before, but it's been almost, what, three years? Uh, mm. How has Gnosticism influenced your worldview? Yes. Yeah, so um, my name is Rhyme. Uh, actually, Rhyme. Uh, I, sometimes I wish not. Uh, during school, definitely not. I used to get called Slime. And, <laughs> yeah, I was mean. And it was complicated. Okay, I, would, mean. Well, I would get Rimmy or Rim or... I got into high schools even harder with that. I got called me smell. So that was, oh. that was a good one. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I, I simultaneously became the bully and the bullied, really. Um, probably ending more in the bullied and just was like, okay, I'm just going to figure skate every day and, and go over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I started making music when I was six, actually. So I come from a very rock and roll um, background. My father was in a rock band. Uh, in the early 90s, and they did very well in in Australia. My mother was also touring with another rock band um, of the Divinals. That was the name of the band. My dad's band's name was the Screaming Jets. Very ACDC, pub rock, blues Mm. kind of style. Um, And then, obviously, you know, the Divinals were um, Chrissy Amphlett. I touch myself. That one. So the I mean, there's a ton she did that were amazing. But my parents met on tour and they they got married actually in Las Vegas at a drive-thru wedding. Came back to Australia, had me. Uh, everything kind of fell apart. There was a lot of drugs back in the, the day and there was also a lot of, um, you know, Australia, it's an interesting energy there. I don't know if you've been there, but um, that was my whole childhood of, of music and influence and I said I started producing music when I was six on a old program called Sony Acid but I would drag loops so I was the the weird kid in the studio making um a spooky house album and the other kids 
playing outside. You know, I had this strange balance. And then when I would go play outside, I, I loved lizards and reptiles and I would, you know, find like make little houses for them. I'm, I'm sure there's someone else listening who also made little houses. And yes, I know who you are. But um, there was a lot of that. And then I picked up saxophone because of Lisa Simpson when I was, yeah, yeah, when I was um, 10. And I played saxophone classically trained until um, the end of high school. And during high school, I did some um, intermediate music level programs. So I studied a lot of score writing and I just did a lot of music. But then, of course, you know, you turn 14 and boys become the most important thing. Um, Yes. So I also had like my moment where I kind of went away from music Mm -hmm. and I I was, you know, doing all that. And I was also working because I was supporting myself to do ice skating. But actually ice skating and anything physical or performance-wise is quite an important thing to hone uh, in your life because it teaches you performance and it teaches you how to, to, to use your body with music. So I was always doing music. It was just in a form or at that time more with dancing at a party as a teenager or figure skating with my Russian coach who would say, bleh! Um, and then finally, uh, around the end of high school, I was just the one who was always playing music. I thought I was DJing since as soon as I got my car and I was the only one in the city who had a car. It was just me and my friends in the car. Let's play this music. And I loved electronic music. And I quickly moved uh, cities in Australia and I just started DJing a lot. And it was not hey, I'm DJing. It was, I was in a rock and roll bar and they were like, you're not mixing anything. You just play this song and then you play that song. And because Rocket was in my heart, I just killed it. Just rock and roll, apple juice and vodka and pizza in a bar. And it was just that for three years as well as a bunch of other stuff. I also bought my first passport when I was 19 and then I took myself to China. That was the first place I went. Uh, Indonesia after. And each of these places... Um, I think as in everyone's story that they can pick up these influences or energies. Mm. And because I was also living in Australia and I now live in Japan, I've been living in Asia my whole life, really. The more I understand the geographical points, there is portals in Asia and I have been in in the Asian. So I find it interesting to, um, as I've gotten older and, and delved more into music, that this Asian influence of of sound has really affected me and also the Aboriginal music has affected me a lot, which I've also reconnected with recently. Um, because it's it's a lot of a lot of shamanic uh shamans come from Siberia, but well uh, firstly in some way, um, but a lot of shamanic influence in Asia, especially as you know, Indonesia was very powerful for that. Um, most of Buddhism comes from China going into the Gnosticism topic now. Um, and also Japan is a very, very mythical place for for Gnosticism and Gnosis. And it's, mm. it's so glad you asked me that question because I, um, I just have this book in front of me and this is a book on Japanese shamanism mm-hmm. and how the uh, practice of shamanism came to Japan because there was actually quite an influence on two parts. So there was the Northern Hemisphere, um, and which comes from Hokkaido and more Russia and the kind of cold, and then the Philippines and the more Indonesian um, area that came up through Okinawa, and it kind of had a melting point in the middle. 
So my life in Japan, besides music, because I basically mastered DJing, uh, I'm still mastering music production, but that's a never-ending thing. I've come here and just had... I was never meant to really stay in Japan, but Japan, as soon as I got here, it was like, no, you're going to perform for Dior, then you're going to do that, then you're going to stay here, oh, then you're going to meet that person, then we're going to get great sushi. It just never ended. <laughs> so I decided to um, do the whole I'm big in Japan thing and um, break that that little thing. And I ended up working with such big labels as a foreigner living in an Asian country and as you know, the music industry now is very, um, it's its pushing a lot of boundaries in the terms of, okay, we want um, an Asian artist in America and we want to, mm. it's, going, it's going in that direction and there's big labels forefronting that. And I was very lucky to work with big labels that are forefronting um, empowering uh, Asian artists. As a non-Asian artist who's living in Asia, who represents as an Asian artist, it's a very... Um, uh, interesting journey that I've had the other end of the stick on to see in that way. And that's influenced a lot of my decisions uh, as in where am I going to be doing music? And uh, I think it, it also um, influenced a lot of people like with this current setting in business, how do you, how do you do business and how do you do your art? Because they are different platforms and hmm. how do you mix them around? Cause we have to, pay the bills and we have to also be creative and this is something that's been a very interesting topic and with all the gadgets here in japan vance um you know there's actually a lot of interesting um technology-based decisions that i've made and um that i've also been disappointed upon because yeah, yeah japan is so um really japan is one of for me the country that is the most advanced in terms of um human thinking, but also so behind still um, in so many ways, like with uh, this thing that I see slowly with um, their values, their kind of moral compass. And this goes into Gnosticism quite nicely because Japan being so technologically advanced and with, you know, I never lock my car. Seriously, though, don't, no one take advantage of that. Um, I never lock my car, uh, and I have a big car. It's with windows open, so really, uh, you know. But don't really like to lock the house. Don't re- people don't really do that here. There's no crime. Mm. I've never had any big issue. Of course, there's some things, but that's not the conversation today. But you find mostly that this society, um, and also being an island, has become so tribal and and safe and and a community-based country. And then it's got the high-tech dreams. But a lot of Japanese, uh, it's still the most pure blood. It's like Slytherin. It's the most pure blood um, country in the world. Mm -hmm. There is still a lot of um, don't go outside, which is also a quite similar Australian uh, mindset. This is why I also wanted to leave there. Um, We have everything here. Why would you want to go anywhere else? Um, Most Japanese people only speak Japanese. So in order to live here, I've had to learn Japanese and understand their way of customs, which is actually beautiful. A lot of bowing, a lot of, um, there's a lot of silence like that, Mm -hmm. where you let the air 
breathe. And sometimes during a business meeting or during um, something, it's almost like, what is going on? It's so awkward. But I've come to realize that silence is actually something that is very powerful and um, also awkward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, Japan, uh, for me, has been an interesting uh, vision because the main religion here is actually Shintoism. And Shintoism is more of a religion that uh, rev- gives reverence to deities. And it puts the fate of myself in that deity's responsibility. And we say responsibility as sekinin. So sekinin is a word that I, and a phrase that is among the masses. I feel something that is very, people try to dodge this. Uh, if I ask a question, I usually get a which means just wait one moment while they check with that superior who checks with that superior. And it just, it until someone can make a decision. There's usually a lot of hesitancy with responsibility. And that reflects also, I think, in the moral guide encompassing where people go at certain times of the year during festival, they pay their little money, they line up in a line, and then they do their little claps and it is a a truly beautiful thing to witness and I do love the idea of these deities providing but I think what is missed in 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 some way is the responsibility for oneself and actions and in faith uh, and moral compass guiding themselves and Japan because of its gadgets fans has become very dependent on materialism and technology and as the AI simulation further deepens we're actually being brought deeper and deeper into relying and uh trusting this technological aid uh and changing it from the slave to the master so i think that gnosticism and ancient japanese shamanic practices and i'm going to go into another uh, beautiful buddhism i've learned here um is super important and it's a it's a bit of a race right now in japan on how to how to live here in such a technological gadget-based country but not be the victim of that materialism and remember uh, what gnosis can be brought down. Beautifully said and thank you. And what about the idea, for example, um, looking at metaphysics, if you start talking about the simulation theory, archons or UFOs, does that fly over there? I mean, it is sort of a, one of the homes of science fiction. I mean, yeah. Oh, no, you feel it. Anime is full of Gnostic themes from Evangelion to Attack on Titan to all those. So. Yeah. No, um, so there, there's one very great anime I like called Angel Beats, and it's about this um, alternate dimension before death you go into. And it's mm-hmm. about like high, they're in high school and in a school and they all play music. It's, it's Japan is one of this. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think where to start. I think what I want to start uh, is actually the best way is, is Japan. Let's look at Japan for a second. The shape of Japan is actually a dragon. So if you go right to the top on the right-hand side, you have the head, which is Hokkaido. And then you follow the base of the spine down and you watch the shape and the tail tails into Okinawa down here. And the Okinawa Islands kind of tails uh, as the, the kind of long tail of the dragon. Then you have the heart of the dragon, which is Tokyo. So the heart kind of sits where the sternum is uh, being held. 
And then you have Kyoto, which is the base of the spine. And Kyoto is the original, um, the original capital was Nara, which is a little more south, which is actually more of the sacral chakra. And you go into Osaka, which is the asshole, um, which actually I love all the shit down there, really. that That's the shit, literally. When I say Japan, <laughs> Osaka is the shit. And it really yeah. is geographically. But that's a lot of, um, and you feel it. There's a different energy. Um, Kyoto mm-hmm. is a bit more like, hmm. So we had Nara, which was the first capital. Um, and actually Nara is, oof, can't wait to talk about that place. That was, a, that was a part of one of my Japanese deities. And then Tokyo now is the current capital. So it moved capitals three times. Um, so the shape of the dragon is very important to understand about Japan. In, in Japanese, we call a dragon ryu. So this ryu it symbolizes this kind of forgotten mystical creature with which we all know the dragons probably were a real animal at some point and it did die it was on the chinese zodiac and it's the only animal missing in real life from the chinese zodiac if you think about it Mm. so i do uh really am fascinated with dragons in terms of in sci-fi i'm also dragon ball z if you think about it that was a very big anime now the the dragon um i actually have a little story about where I was brought recently and I actually have my second house there because I work in Tokyo, but I live somewhere special in Japan. And it was very strange how I found it. Now on this geographical point, you go to the most Eastern part, but on the South and you have the arms of the dragon and they call the arms of the dragon, uh, a state called Chiba, but you go even further down to this one area. And actually the dragon holds crystal balls so Dragon Ball Z was almost based around this dragon holding these crystal balls. Now there's seven crystal balls the dragon holds in Japan. So there's seven suburbs around the eastern corner of Japan um, in a kind of Kamogawa prefecture around, uh, not prefecture, like city, that represents these crystal balls. Now this is where I take my car and I drive to and I, I've been blessed with this apartment that I do my secret and sacred work out there. And it's very, very peculiar energy. As soon as you come in, you feel this uh, electricity, really. It's, um, and every morning you, it, the sun rises. So you look out to, I guess, if you looked far enough, you would see California or Brazil, uh, the South America. So if you do have a chance to go to Japan, you are interested in mysticism and uh, you want to understand the dragons, you know, what is it holding? What is its... Um, what is its sacred knowledge that we don't know? I would recommend going right into the corner on the bottom right-hand side and finding that out. So there is um, this a beautiful, beautiful Japanese um, uh, Buddhism. And I believe in terms of Gnosticism, it's been kind of Buddhism is a big part of Gnosticism. I know that we talk a lot about ancient Christianity yeah. on Aeon Bites and a lot about um uh, Judaism and the cabal, which I love, but I find that I, I want to talk about Buddhism now because Buddhism is also very wide. Now, Japan being a mostly Buddhist Buddhist country, we actually recognize Shintoism, and put, most people know about this kind of Buddhism for the most part. There's also the Buddhist teachers. There's also the Tibetan, and there's the Sanskrit. Now, there is a modern Buddhism in Japan that I actually was introduced to when I was here. Um, and it's a, a beautiful seven. Of course, here's the number seven again. It's a seven-syllable phrase that goes like this. It's nam yo ho renge kyo. 
And this is a beautiful phrase that was um, originally in Sanskrit. It was also then translated to Chinese. And there was a man called Nichiren who basically dubbed Nam Yohoning a cure through a series of many years. Um, there was someone who ended up in jail uh, just understanding this phrase. It was very um, old Buddhism and old Japanese. They didn't want to know. They wanted their things the way they wanted it, and they didn't want any change. Mm -hmm. So this modern Buddhism of Nam Yohoring a Kyo, the chant, is under a company um, or like a institution of Soka Gakkai. It's the main institution in Japan. And um, there is actually a mountain uh, where Nichiren brought this chanting to. And this mountain is Kiyosumi Mountain, which is near Kamogawa. And you would not believe I was driving around one day thinking, I'm going to go for a drive and explore the area. I drive about 40 minutes and I'm driving through this mountain and I arrive at this sacred temple. And I was just, you know, I, I was just, what, let's see where God takes me today. And I get out at this temple and I'm feeling like, ooh, I feel a little like electricity and it's, it's high up, it's misty, it's moody. And I walk in and I, I'm so used to walking into Shinto temples that when I walked in and this and I see Nichiren, which is Japanese, they don't usually like this chanting. It's usually like, no, we don't do modern Buddhism. And I was so shocked that it was this temple that Nichiren came to with this chanting. He actually dubbed the Namyo Horenge Kyo. Um, we say Odaimoku. So when we say Odaimoku, it means we're chanting in trance this kind of um, this, this meaning. And it was so beautiful to come to this temple of, of, of Namyo Horenge Kyo, which Nichiren founded before then Sakagakai kind of took it and made it more institutionalized. Um, and the energy just, they still chant every day. And the energy of Namyo Horenge Kyo, what does it mean? And this is something that I wanted to share with you. I think that it's, it's not an easy translation, and I'm still understanding it as an English speaker. Mm -hmm. But Namyo Horenge Kyo, Overall, it means an entire devotions to the Hokke Kyo. And the Hokke Kyo is um, when Buddha came into his, uh, um, his nirvana and his enlightenment, he began to teach. And after he taught, he taught for about 30 years the metaphors of Buddhism, and he was mm -hmm. still understanding it, I think. And it's almost in some way, you know, in your life where, okay, Gnosticism gets introduced to you or mysticism is introduced and you start to go through a series of trials and metaphors and it's like a step-by-step -step process. But it's then that moment when you hit this incredible realization. And I think Buddha came into this period of 10 years of his life where he then got into the best of the best of the best of the teachings and the Buddhism and the true real stuff and, and in Japanese that's hokkekyo and that's the kind of most sacred knowledge so um namyo horinge kyo when we chant it we say namyo horinge kyo namyo horinge kyo it's chanting mm -hmm. to to uncover to to sponge to to live to breathe to become the best of the best of buddhism and uh this is a very i think gnostic um part of japan that uh is so untalked about and still um, 
uh, learning. And and Soccer Gakkai did go into England. I have some great British oh, friends. Wow. Yeah, they they have a beautiful center, and in New York they have a center. So most um, people who are serious about Buddhism, Gnosticism, and mysticism do know of Soka Gakkai and the teachings of Nichiren. And Daisuke Ikeda-san, who's the he, I, he might still be alive, but he's very old, and he is a oh, you would love him, Miguel and Vance. He's the most amazing Japanese writer and founding president of Sokogakai, and he does an amazing Gnostic dialogue with um, Christian teachers, with um, uh, uh, Hinduism people, like just every religion you can imagine. He sits there and he talks like, okay, what is the main principle that bridges my Japanese faith and understanding of the mystic and your faith and the common duality is peace always which you guys know it's always peace so i love that since i've been here i've been able to be introduced to this beautiful chanting um and this is a little book i'm just holding up in the screen in case you're watching this or not but this is the sokogakai uk book um that you open up and it teaches you about nichiren and about the chanting, and they have the English translation um, where you can actually mm-hmm. read along. And you start with a beautiful prayer. And this is a type of practice that I, I do in Japan that I was introduced very early on when I came here. And it's been so touching to my heart. I've also gone through, you know, okay, I'm not going to do that now, but I'm going, I, I chanted this morning. And and it after you chant, just like after you meditate, there is this sense of, I don't know, I want to say like you kind of brush off any little juju or whatever, clean up the minds. So, um, yeah, there's that. (laughs) Wonderful. Love it. Love it. Yes. And, of course, I think we get to basics. Yeah, Gnosticism really, if you want to talk about its primordial origin, Mm -hmm. somebody mentioned that in the chat I saw is shamanism, that direct Mm -hmm. experience with the spirit world for better or worse, because the spirit world is full of assholes. I mean, that's just the way it is. And uh, <laughs> But that's what it uh, keeps manifesting throughout history. So I would say uh, definitely. For those of you in the chat, uh, yeah, if you have a question for Ryan, please super chat him so we can separate and separate them and get down to, uh, yeah, and address your questions or complaints for Vance or whatever. What do you yeah, think, Vance? Do you have a question? Um, yeah, I was wondering, if there seems to be such a juxtaposition, I've always wondered this, juxtaposition between Shinto and Buddhism. You know, like on one hand, you got lots of gods, and the other hand, you don't got any gods, So, or at least in many forms of Buddhism. What can you tell us about that? It's a great question, um, and each to their own, really, because everyone's going to experience different um, different things. I, I recently watched a movie um you know, there's great YouTube channels that just, they just sit there and they have this amazing warm voice and they talk about uh, angels or whatever. But I did watch a thing on angels and I was relating this closely with these deities because um, Japanese, everywhere you walk, there's like a little statue of, uh, statue of a kitsune there and a tanuki there. And then you've got um, different types of Buddhas and different types of deities. And and I think, yes, you're right. Shintoism is the 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 reverence to these de- deities and there's many 
you know, and that's where Sekinin comes back to. Uh, most Japanese will probably feel more um, like myself, condemned to follow or or rev reverent, give reverence to a particular deity. There are two de deities that I follow that came to me that are beyond profound, that I cannot say, oh, whatever. And then you have obviously the hardcore Buddhists who are like, um, there is no God, I am God, which I'd also believe at some point. And, but this also tips on the edge of atheism and even I'm there too. I think Gnosticism even includes atheism too. It's just more that once you witness, and, and this year has been a big year for me in terms of um, also a psychedelic revelation, once you witness the amount of spirits and guides out there, there's no denying that nothing exists. There is definitely things, but is there just one thing? So Japanese, for the most part, with Shintoism, I think that, you know, mostly, actually, Japan is a, quite an atheist country. Mm -hmm. The moral compass here is materialism and what my neighbor thinks of me, for the most part. But then you have these amazing, amazing people you start to meet um, on your hero's journey. And um, I have met shamans here. I have been approached by many shamans here. And I've also been approached by people in Mongolia who have said, you need to come to Mongolia and do a show and meet this shaman. And I've gone and I've met shamans there. Wow. Um, oh, incredible. I, I keep getting called into this shamanic world and it, it, it just makes sense every time I get there. And then I'm like, oh, well, that's why I met this guy and that why. But I'll tell you about these two Shinto. Uh, I don't know if they're Shintoism, but they are deities in Japan. So there's two that I met. When I first came to Japan, I met Fudomyo. Fudomyo is the protector of Buddha. He's known as the, I wish I could get a picture up right now. Um, that would actually be fun. Can we do that uh, while we simultaneously do it Let me see to put the one. video on no um not not yet for that one i'm trying to get a picture of food um let me let me just send this link um can we do private chat yeah i just sent you a link but there is an image here of food now i will describe it for people listening he's got a very like a his face is all disjointed. He's got one side of his mouth hanging out, a twitchy-looking eye. He's got big gremlin teeth. His skin is kind of dark. He, honestly, the first time you look at him, it's like, oh, what is that? You would mistake him for a demon, honestly. He's got this big hand of fire. Um, he's a nasty, nasty-looking guy. Um, uh, he's not for everyone. Fudo Myo is a quite hardcore, uh, serious. Um, there we go. Yeah, here's yeah. the pictures. I don't know. Which There's one some you pictures want coming up of him. He's a he's a serious guy, and uh, he's the kind of um, deity of fire. Fire is a closely working thing. And I was reading in the shamanistic book last night that the only way for shamans to even graduate as shamans themselves, they must master the art of fire, and that is fire within oneself. That, that kind of lighting it up to push out that battle, to bring that energy up, to make movement, to make action, mm. to make responsibility. So Fudomyo is one of my favorite um, uh, Japanese deities. And um, cool. I was randomly traveling. Uh, I, was, I saw a picture of a graveyard in a mountain called Mount Koyasan. 
and Koyasan was in the Nara prefecture. And as soon as I got up there and I stayed in this temple in the middle of the night, I woke up um, with this with this green flame. Uh, opened my eyes and I was pinned down, paralyzed. I, I always had a lot of sleep paralysis. I've always seen a lot of weird yeah. demons. I've I've dealt with a lot of dark energies coming and attaching themselves onto me and feeding. And and it, and it was actually the first night I ever le- stayed in Tokyo um, before I went to this mountain that I woke up in the middle of the night and there's this huge <sighs> standing over the bed and he was like, oh, straight away, top black hat, suicide spirit, right over my bed, like, welcome. And that was very confronting and I woke up with this weird energy on my back you know it's usually i travel i can i will pick up the main energy but the suicide spirit in in tokyo heavy stuff right near fuji as you know is the suicide forest Uh, that's Uh coming but you will love that metaphor but when i came to this mountain i was feeling that still and i didn't mention it to anyone but i was feeling like what is this thing that came over me in tokyo and i was in the middle of the night i i I woke up and I was pinned down, paralyzed, and I see this amazing green mist over me, and it was the mist of this face. And I was thinking, "Geez, this is um, this is this demon coming to get me again." But then my my sternum like kind of popped up really quickly, and I felt this like um, this green mist like went and just pulled it out of me really quickly. It was like an exorcism. And I've had this before, but not usually with um, my godfather, who's a healer or a few other people over the years, but this was something different. And I was like, I woke up, got the feeling back in my hands and I was in this tatami floor and a futon thinking, what the fuck is, is, is life? Uh, what is going on? Who is this thing? And I woke up the next morning at 6 a.m. for the chanting because there's a chanting in the temples where usually if you do a, 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 a stay here. And I walk in and there's the fire being lit and you hear the um, the Fudomyo chanting. And I see the statue of exactly this green mist outline that I saw of this face, exactly of what was standing and all the monks chanting to him. It was like, his spirit must be so strong and doused in this temple that he's like, he's the master. If anything or any other energies are coming and being brought in, he's like, hell no. He comes over and just snaps it right out. It was so profound and it, it, it doesn't, when you experience a spirit as strong as Fudomyo coming and actually protecting you, that's his, his mission, you start to go, wow, okay, well, uh, all right. And then throughout Japan, there are small temples um, that have him. Every temple has a different deity. So whenever I see him, I always go in and I go, thank you, you know, just to show my respect. And um, he's someone that's been a constant kind of guardian angel, kind of like Archangel Michael. The next deity that came to me that touched my heart is a beautiful, beautiful woman. Um, And her name is Benzai Ten. I'm going to send you her. So Benzai Ten is actually the goddess of, of music, of poetry, of fortune. And she's a beautiful goddess. She's usually doused in robes. Um, she also plays Japanese instruments like the shamisen, the koto, 
which I also have been playing uh, the koto the past three years too. We'll more on that in a second. Um, and she also came to me in such a strange way. Um, I was, uh, I don't know exactly how I can remember, but I do remember being at a beautiful park in Tokyo and I was exploring the Ghibli Museum. I went to go and find, yes, exactly. I went to go find the Ghibli Museum and I was walking around this park and I was feeling like this park was so beautiful and there was a lake and it was, um, it's called Inokashira Koen and it's up in Kichijoji, which is a beautiful suburb kind of more northwest of Tokyo. Yeah, she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I saw this house on this little, like, on the water, like they built this little inlet where you would walk out over a bridge into this little temple. So I walked over there and I instantly just started crying. And I was thinking, oh, I don't cry, <laughs> you know. <laughs> what? Um, I'm on stage screaming all the time. You know, I, I play hard techno music. Like, I ain't going to cry. I like some energy, you know. Um, but there was something that I made me really just touch this kind of very sacred point of my of my heart and of my soul. And I, I realized this temple I asked, it was a Benzai Ten's temple. Mm. And of course, as soon as I say, Oh, this is Benzai Ten's temple, um, one of the more reverent, it's small, but it's there's something so beautiful. And she rides the dragon, right? Which is also right. the dragon of Japan. She she just sings and 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 fed me this beautiful poetry and and she she is a just you might if any look into Benzai Ten look you'll be mm-hmm. everyone finds their own deity and they'll when they when they start to look uh, into Japanese Shintoism into shamanism into Buddhism into everything they start to figure out what images of these figures do I does my eyes and my soul gravitate to. So these were the two spirits that I gravitated to. And um, it also says she's the goddess of war, um, which, again, probably intertwines with my kind of strong fighter spirit because I, I definitely have a, uh, a a stronger spirit. I'm not as wispy and whimsical as I, as I hope. I'm a bit more like let's throw up on the floor and get the demiurge out and, you know, let's, let's face that. Like really the whole theme of suicide um, has been a, very strong theme in my life um and I dealt with uh, a suicidal father for a long time and depression was a very strong theme in my family and um I had no idea just how much family really does influence you and I think you guys know and I think anyone listening here knows um our family uh during our formative years a lot of the energies in the womb that we pick up too being in our mother's womb it it does affect us and then do we decide to be the victim where we grow up and we say, oh, mom, mom and oh, it's the reason I'm this because my mom and dad, you know? Or do we take the second in the responsibility and we figure out our own Gnostic viewpoints and go, no, we're not going to do that. Now, music has been a huge – music is still – I mean, you know, in order to cross over into the threshold, singing and using the voice in uh, shamanic tones or in, in, in any way possible in, in screaming and putting fingers on the black, you know, doing whatever we need to to pass through actually does help process these traumas of, of, of our past, of potentially our karma from the future, and um, even the chanting. You know, that's why people chant. Um, that's why people find songs in themselves. So 
for me, music has not only been something that, of course, I've been given as a gift, but also something that's helped me heal uh, really dark stuff that I, I found out this year about what where it's come from maybe within me and my past lives and my actions in this life, but also stuff that has happened to my family generations ago. And it was interesting, um, Miguel, you did a talk with um, Judy earlier this year about decoding your emotional blueprint. Right. And I end up reading that book after this talk. Like I hope someone may d dive into these deities I'm talking about on um, your holding a cure and furthering their knowledge and their gnosis and going, wow, I was, um, I had some, some family shit that they didn't yeah. face. Yeah. And then you have to be the one to pick it up and go, do I, do I do the work? And and what does the work entail? Where does the work take me? Obviously, took you to Graceland recently. Mm -hmm. um, moon dog vans to the moon um, in the galaxy, <laughs> as we'll see. <laughs> so it takes us these places. And um, there was a beautiful story about another Japanese um, beautiful deity called Amaterasu. I did a song on her as well. Um, I'll send you that so you can drop it in the chat. Amaterasu rhyme corsetsu. I did this with a beautiful, send it on the band camp um, to the chat. So, oh, I'll put it in the chat straight on the on the YouTube. There we go. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill yeah now, that's good amaterasu was the sun goddess of japan so we all know that the sun is quite important on the flag we have the the red sun and she was she's the most famous benzai 10 is not as famous as uh sorry benzai 10 uh i think you're famous but amaterasu was the kind of most famous japanese she's the spirit of mount fuji uh, you can see her. And now she is, this comes into the suicide forest story. She um, went into this place where uh, she had this kind of depression, which we all go through, the, the best of us do. We go through this dark night of the soul. And she was, um, she filled up the land with sun. And then she was like, she just, she just went a little weird. Don't quote me on this, but she went a little weird. She went into a cave and she was hiding and she was, she was just, she didn't want to face anything. She just kind of put her head down and she forgot her beauty and her shine. Mm. And um, it was not until that one day all the people of the, of the village around Mount Fuji and, and Japan kind of were like, it got dark and, and scary and they needed the sun back. So they started shaking all these um, trees and they were causing all these festivals and they were lighting all this fire and trying to, hey wake up come outside and she kept going no 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 so they thought of a of a trick like oh how can we get the sun back in japan so they put um they put a mirror at the entrance of her cave so finally when she was like what's all this ruckus outside I'm, shut up i'm trying to be depressed here <laughs> Literally, she she peeks outside and she opens the cave and she sees herself in the mirror and she sees this this shine and this 
beauty of hers. And she remembers, she remembers her shine. And then she she comes back and she she fills the the land with her light and her her presence. And she returns by remembering her inner shine. No. And and then you have Mount Fuji, which is the symbol of Japan. Um, as you as you look, you think, oh, the mystic mountain, you know. And Mount Fuji is considered a portal in Japan as the gateway to heaven. So a lot of people ended up, you know, kind of reverencing Mount Fuji as this gateway to heaven. It's still a live volcano. We had an earthquake here this morning, just a jolt, but I was Whoa. like, oh. It's going to be a good day today. I'm talking to Miguel and Vance. Um, <laughs> there was they know they are very care. They pray to Mount Fuji. Don't erupt or careful with the with the with the um, uh, earthquakes because uh, the wrong jolt can also make it erupt. You know, so mm. it's oh, there's a kitty in your video. Come on. Uh, <laughs> I've got like four. Yeah. Oh, come on. Hopefully they'll stay asleep. Oh come on! <laughs> I'm looking at my little asleep one, but I love. I love cats. Japan's such a cat island. Um, but, yeah, so the, the gateway to heaven. Now, what surrounds heaven? What surrounds Mount Fuji? This is the crazy ge geographical point that always blows my mind is we have the suicide forest. Um, and this forest is a very – you go to Fuji and you're sensitive to energy, uh, you're going to feel it. You're going wow. to look through as you drive past and you're going to see little – dark shadows just jumping through the forest. Oh, I had nightmares sometimes. If I sleep in Fuji, I can get either enlightenment dreams or nightmares. And um, I, I find that the metaphor of the gateway to heaven is surrounded by hell. It's like in order to find our true peace, we must go through that dark night of the soul or that, that hell, that, that wanting to kill oneself in some way um, in order to then realize our shine. Um, and so much of my music and my um, I'm about to release a debut album and that the, oh, the wow. album. Yeah, this is with Rhyme So. And these, the album title is an acronym. It's IAFB. But the main meaning that we found of this IAFB acronym is I am fucking brilliant. And this, <laughs> yeah, I, I got merch for you guys, uh, seriously. But anyone to listening, it comes out on the 24th. And the main song is called I'm Fucking Brilliant. And this song is literally possibly uh, related to this story about Amaterasu seeing the mirror and remembering her shine. And I went through some really dark night of the soul shit. And it was this year, I think, finally, that I had a mirror shown on me through the help mm. of... Um, uh, a psychedelic experience as well as friends and family but I was able to kind of go oh shit I'm fucking brilliant sorry we're gonna we have a very dirty swearing episode I love it uh, I'm Australian <laughs> forgive me but um I I really love this story so I think let's take a little break and I want to show you um uh, uh, uh speaking of crossing over into this threshold there is a, a video I sent to Miguel Connor uh, recently called Torianse. So let's have a listen to that. And then. All right. All right. Yeah. And it's interesting about your dreams and stuff. My daughter, Ellie, she's eight and she's always mm. can predict things. And recently, uh, she's been having nightmares where this monster or this giant long guy at front of the her bed is stalking her all the time. So. Oh, well. Anyway, so I started incense, prayers, works really well. 
she, she, I mean, down. she's obviously got to, she also has to tell it to, to go away as well because, um, yeah. but in some ways it's like, uh, it could be angels in disguise too, you know. Um, I think angels also, you know, Lucifer is a dark angel, which you guys yeah. know. So mm -hmm. it's, yeah. So this is a dark song. This song, Tell us about this tune. Mm, this song is called Torianse, and it is actually a children's song, <laughs> of all things. And it's an old song. It's um, not, but not ancient. It's rather new. Now, Torianse in Japanese means gate. So you know those beautiful big kind of gates you have, the big wooden. It's this. It's this gate, and and this gate is a super symbolic uh, part of Japan for the crossing over. Every temple has a torianse, a gate, a tori. And this is in order to go through the gate to the other side. And anyone that's also done anything ever really knows the importance of that crossing of the threshold. Mm. So the number seven comes up again. And oh, I wow. love it, right? So in Japan, um, in old Japan, when it was a poor time, uh, if a child reached the age of three, amazing we'd celebrate if the child reached the age of five oh my god even better and then seven was the time of the end of the very pureness and the end of the child childhood and also the beginning of the sacred ancient knowledge it's why your daughter at eight years old she just finished her seventh year is starting to probably go through this now we call uh go no shichigo san which is the, or am I saying the opposite way? It means three, five, and seven. This is an actual children's holiday in Japan we have where we celebrate children of these ages because these are very big um, points of the life of the child. Um, so when the child reaches seven, this, the, the child needs to be crossed over. It's the, the crossing over time in Japan. So this song is about a, um, a tori, a gate, and a mother and her seven-year-old daughter, and at the gate, a very old gatekeeper. Um, we don't know if he's man or woman or she. It. Um, and basically we have... Mm -hmm. 
This is, you may go in, you may enter. Which way is the narrow pathway? Um, we continue. This is the narrow pathway of the Tenjin Shrine. Please allow me to go through. This is the mother speaking. So I, I almost play two characters where I pull myself a little more into a bit like kind of energy versus like a energy. <laughs> I like to play these two roles. So the mother comes in and then the um, and then uh, the or the gatekeeper says, those without good reason shall not pass. So the mother says, oh, the, the celebrate the seventh birthday of my child. Um, we need to make our offering to the ofuda, uh, to the, um, the, the god here, the mystic, to, um, to pass through so she can or he can and, and go through. Now, this is the favorite phrase I love. Oh, my God. She says, this gatekeeper says, she says going in is easy but returning is scary it's scary but you may go in you may pass through now the metaphor of this is once we leave our childhood once we leave our innocence there's no turning back mm-hmm. there is once we've seen it once we've heard it, there is no going back. And it's, it, it is scary going through life and going through this transitional phase, uh, crossing over into alternate dimensions through psychedelics perhaps as well. It's, it's a big, it's a big, it's a scary thing. It's to face the subconsciousness. So this song is um, in some way um, a haunting song because it reminds the child that, and the, all the kids sing it. It's in school here. It's a very, everyone knows. Um, no one knows who exactly wrote it. There are rumors about who wrote it, but it's a very mysterious song and it reminds children and adults for that manner of um, losing one's innocence, but also accepting it and being okay with passing through this, this gate. And I just love this song that I also was researching recently into it as I was recording it. Um, there was also such a poor time where children really they couldn't actually even be fed. They were they were so sick and poor that sometimes the families would drop the children off in the forest and let them oh go play, and they would never come to get them again because they they were that poor and it was that desperate. And this is also another reason why the suicide forest in Mount Fuji might exist because there was also a rumor that old people they would just drop them and they would be like, we're just gonna. And these poor children and old people who they couldn't afford to feed and take care of, their souls got lost in the forest. And that's why there's so much sci-fi mysticism and look at all the horror movies in Japan of these scary souls and haunting. I'm getting chills right now um, because Japan horror, you cannot beat it. It is the most horrific, horrifying country in the world. No, of course. Uh, I go to horror houses here and I come out like petrified. I go to ones in France or America and it's like, the fuck is that? You know, <laughs> like you there, you trust me. If you come to Japan, anyone listening, you must literally go and experience. There's a haunted house in Mount Fuji. It was an old hospital. They turned it into the, an attraction and uh, it's it's terrifying. They dress up as zombies and chase you around, of course, but it's there's an energy. You feel there's Japanese horror is weird. There's a lot of um, uh, pterodactyl kind of 
weird shaped stuff, but it also goes into shamanism. It also goes into this weird state where things get weird looking. Um, and, and yeah, uh, this song um, and, and Japan for that matter, it holds a lot of ancient knowledge and power of a more darker and scarier side. Um, and it's funny. I, I had a, there's another thing called Hatsuyume and Hatsuyume. I did a whole music project on it. Um, I'll drop that into the, the chat as well. Hatsuyume means first dream of the year. So the first dream of the year that I had, I had many dreams. It always happens on, um, just dropping it in the YouTube chat. So when you have time, check this out. It's a 17 minute video and uh, it's a discourse on the first dream of the year. So they usually prophesize in Japan what you dream of mm -hmm. um, on Oshogatsu, which is January 1st, after the first sun has set, is uh, going to come true. So I had some crazy dreams on, and I started to recognize it and I was thinking, what the fuck? Why am I dreaming this and it's coming true? So always pay attention to your first dream of the year, your Hatsuyume. And now maybe you might even think, oh, did you remember one of your dreams one new year? And did that come true? Or did that touch any parts of your uh, psyche? So I had a dream this year and a weird one. It was, I had a weird New Year's. I had a big show and then I had a big drama and it was, it was, a, it was just a, not my ideal New Year's, but um, I had a lot of uh, responsibility and the show was great. I wore these fire pajamas on stage and I was screaming and, and welcoming in the new year. And I wanted fire. Wow. Even now talking to you guys, it makes sense because fire is the shaman's weapon. Um, and I was wearing these insane fire pajamas and I, I usually wear purple, but I was wearing orange and green, uh, orange and uh, yellow and red. And I said on stage, it's like, I'm wearing this pajamas because this new year's we're going to go in with a fiery, exciting year. And of course, my my dream, it was not even a dream. I had this very strange calling. Uh, it was uh, a calling I'd never heard before. It was a calling of an alternate dimension. And I was in mm. Osaka. I was in the shithole. And I was um, I was just beside myself on, on New Year's night. I was really going, what the, what, what is this? I was, I was, couldn't work it out. And then I heard this strange voice um, talk to me about, um, ayahuasca and this psychedelic voice. And now I'd never done psychedelics. Uh, I don't need to. My father did enough acid for me to go, <laughs> okay, uh, I'm fine. I get it. I also was quite careful because of my creative mind. I also was like, I don't need to do it. I just, I didn't think about it. I see enough already. I do enough. And I'm sure a lot of people have different relationships with psychedelics. Um, but I, I never thought of myself as someone to, you know, go and do that. No. Just, I was already whatever. And uh, so I, I, it got stronger and stronger. And I was thinking like, God damn, um, I need to follow this voice and, and delve into a psychedelic uh, journey, um, a plant medicine journey. And it was ayahuasca that called me. I checked with my healers, I checked with my teachers, I checked with my friends, I checked with my partner, you know. Also, you, you cannot uh, do plant medicine in, in, in Japan. So I had to think, okay, where am I going to go? Um, mm. 
where can I be respectful? I mean, it just, it, and, and I'm also releasing an album. I, I have work to do as if I have time to go and sit and do, you know, these, these things, but it got so strong. And I was like, well, my Hatsuyume was this, this dream and this message. If I deny my guides or my message, it's going to be all over. Um, so I, I actually ended up, um, uh, excited to tell you guys that I finally did ayahuasca this year. I did it a month ago. Is it? Oh no, to, in, in, uh, in September. Mm-hmm. Um, and leading up to that, I, I dabbled in, um, some DMT, um, of course, mushrooms and LSD, uh, just carefully just to understand what kind of things, you know, and, uh, it was mind blowing really. Um, I'm so, I think everyone will, when they explain their experience, because some people are also very cautious what they say, because they don't want it to be, you don't want to ruin it for someone, you know, because everyone's going to have a different right. experience. And some people don't want to know about your psychedelic experiences too, um, because of their mindset. I was almost one of them at some point. I was like, okay, cool. Cause like, I just grew up with like that, you know, world of everyone talking about it all the time. And I was like, nah, I don't care, bro. But so <laughs> for me sharing this, I find, and I'm really grateful that you've, uh, we talked about it a little bit on the chat. You know, I, I think with, after everything I've taken away from my experiences, um, there's no denying that there is this mystic energy. And uh, I was given quite a rough trip uh i had three different types of i had three nights of ayahuasca but um both in japan my, or did you have to leave the country no i, I had to leave I, I actually ended up in uh in uh in america north america so i didn't okay. go to peru i just i you know I, I had to multitask i had to come back i was in new york city not in new york city doing it but i had a lot of uh things earlier this year in anticipation for this uh, release right. so i kind of double tapped into it but I'm telling you, I actually figured out the reason on my first night of why I even stayed in Japan through my ayahuasca. It's a very complicated story. So if you don't mind, I'll, I'm happy to jump in and tell you. But Sure, sure. Let's hear it. So I, I realized um, during my trip, I was going through my family and I was riding this giant snake's back and I'm in the, the husk of it all thinking, um, my, my family, my brother, and then my sister came up, and I was thinking, my sister, my my my, my sister, I, I don't have a sister, and I've always struggled with feminine energy. I was like, what the hell? And I started panicking almost, like, where is my sister? And I'm like holding my uterus, going, oh, this is a weird moment, and I and and I felt tobacco being blown over me. It was a uh, powerful shit, and I I all of a sudden I see this kind of golden spider web of like all these lines kind of intersecting um, where, where this, this idea and my neurons are all going through, they're all figuring it out, trying to work it out. It's panic mode. And then I see my, my current partner's eldest sister. She's in her late sixties and she just came up and it was like, boom, she's your sister. And I was like, what? And she actually lives in Israel. She's in Jerusalem. Um, she left Japan quite young. She uh, mm-hmm. she was like, um, no, I don't like Japan. Japan is weird for me. I don't want to be here. And she left uh, in the uh, 70s, I guess, 80s. Um, and 
I came to Japan almost trying to look for her. My subconscious was trying to look for her. And actually, I found out that my, my so I'm, my soul family is Japanese. I have a lot of soul family that's Japanese. And I found out that my, my, my mother I would have been born into, she had a miscarriage. And I was the miscarried child. And this is my interpretation from this super strong epiphany I had. And it explains a lot as to why I needed to come to Japan, why I met my current partner and his family, and then also why I had to go to Israel this year, because I was in Israel earlier this year. Um, and mm -hmm. the cabal and Judaism strongly pulls me in. That's why my Gnosticism right. is very high in that sense. And I do like to sing um, or, or listen to Hebrew songs and Japanese songs. And I always pull little tidbits out of it and I place it into the music I create. Um, even this latest song, Magic, um, it's that I released, I sent you guys. That was that was very strongly influenced by the magic of the cabal and the whole like, you know, and yeah. ayahuasca showed me that. Ayahuasca showed me some some very ancient magic. And I have another book next to me now called Magic, uh, which is Alistair Crowley. Oh, of course. Classic. Yeah, right? <laughs> So for me, the the idea of magic um, is so strong, and it's it's so funny. I make these songs, and then of course this book is on the shelf. The uh, the, the designer of the artwork was like, "Hey, you you need this." And I also have another book next to me called "The Hero with a Thousand Faces" by Joseph Campbell. Of course, great one. And these three books are my um, my current revisions. But I find that um, this this year has been just such an amazing year of finally understanding why I came to Japan, the stories of the deities, the stories of um, our ancestors, the trauma and the processing of our family. And I'm very excited to, to share. Obviously, there's some music I've sent on the link, but also the album that will be coming out that is remembering the your shot your shine your true fucking brilliance that will be coming out and uh i feel like everything i've been speaking about is kind of tied up um that journey um and and i want to be a part of in the music industry uh that that growing and that change and that realization of one's shine, which I think music sometimes takes us where we listen to dark music sometimes because we're in dark places or we need to process it through, you know? Right. And, and then, then you come into a more light music time and, and listening to the Icaros in the ayahuasca uh, journey was so profound for me because I was connecting with, with language. I'm a poet. I'm a lyricist. I'm a singer. I was connecting with language in a whole new way, but language of the plants and language of the old magic on, in the air that now I come back to Japan and it's so strong. I just can't stop uh, singing in some way. Um, so yeah, questions, cats, Bernie Num Num. <laughs> Bernie Num Num. Nipples for men. Yes. Uh -uh. <laughs> yeah. The, see there, the kittens attacking the old guy. One oh. cat's 15 years old. The other cat's like two months old. So oh, yeah. see the generations can get along. <laughs> they they do. I'm telling you, we have a lot to learn uh, in one another. And I feel like as a, as a, as a, um, I'm coming in. It's funny. I'm, I'm 28 uh, and I'm going into my dark night of the soul, but I feel like I'm coming out of it, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. I really value. That's why I love listening to, um, you know, I have really young friends, just 18, who I also help 
guide and also they teach me and then also I have a lot of older friends and um, I listen to their wisdom and I teach them sometimes too it's like a whole balancing uh, line of life and that's why it's important to have guests and talk to people of all sorts of ages and and talk to our parents and talk to our parents friends and our partners family like just the best thing you can do is dialogue really Ikeda-san from the Nichiren Buddhism also says dialogue is the most important thing. So these podcasts are such rich ways of of teaching one another stories and storytelling and uh, reminding one another of of the shine inside of us and the darkness too, and the darkness. And that's okay, like your Mm -hmm. daughter must be going through. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Have you had a, is there a word in Japanese for gnosis that you can think of? Hmm. Um, All I know well, is Satori, realization. No, 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 no. Uh, Gnosticism is not like a Gnosticism. or Gnosticism. <laughs> That's how they. But like a, a word for you know a direct experience yeah. with the spirit world or something. Um, well, realization is kizuita, like a realization. Um, I'm trying to think of the best word, like a, a special realization that stands out from the ordinary. Let's say. What about that? Hmm. Hmm. It not be a common word, you know. You might not hear it a lot. Yeah, no, because there are um, profound, there are profound words. I have a, a a very dear friend who's doing Japanese calligraphy, and she knows a lot of kanji of deep words. I wanna, I wanna find the correct word, and and we'll put it on the show notes. But I can definitely say that um, hokekyo is the top of the top of Buddhism, um, which I described before, and that's a that's a very strong word for not only the Buddhism aspect, but also the top of the top of the knowledge in the world. So, hokekyo, and perhaps, I mean, epiphany. Hiu hyogen wa this hiu hyogen is a metaphor. And I find that for me, the metaphor is a um, very powerful kind of realization in some way. So sekinin, I've been saying throughout the thing, is another powerful word, responsibi- responsibility. But in terms of like a God, I have to come back to you on that. I, I, yeah, no problem, no words, yeah, there's a tough one, but hyogen is a nice one. It's, it's a good one for the metaphor because everything's a metaphor, is, is it not? Everything we do and touch, pretty big and a one. Copy in the best we can. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was sort of Japanese uh, as aliens. Oh, Japanese, I'm gonna, I gotta let the cats out. I'll be back. In oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, now I get to try to keep the chat clean and talk. Yeah, to the new time. host of the show, the Moon Talk fan. Yeah, I've been target practicing all night here. I miss a lot of what you said too. You know, that's it's a shame because can't you know you can only have one language thread going through your mind at a time. You know, Mm -hmm. at least I can. Mm -hmm. But uh, and now I just built out the thing I was going to ask you. um, Yes, um, you were asking me um, about aliens. uh, Yes, Japanese as aliens. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. love UFOs, right? They they they're yeah. into UFOs. Yeah. Um. Uh, hello. I did a whole release on a project of um, uh, a girl. Um, now she there's an amazing story actually about a girl that came to Japan as an alien, 
and her name is Utsurobune. Utsurobune was, the, the, oh, you'd love this story. So one day in actually near my, my beach house on the eastern part of Japan, she, this boat, this strange boat in a glass-shaped ship just falls onto the sand and there's this guy, a uh, foreign-looking girl inside and all the Japanese kind of crowd around her and they're like, uh, what the fuck is, is this? And this girl walks out and she's very beautiful and they're thinking wow. it must have been European or an alien and they're all standing around and she has light hair. So they're all like, this is weird. We don't know if we like this. She stays for a few days and they're kind of watching her but then ultimately the chief of the, the city at the time was like, nope, she's going back in this glass ship and they send her back because they were like, they didn't like it. Um, yeah, and her name, Utsurobune, I'm going to drop the uh, the playlist of um, that music because I actually reference her a lot. Um, I almost kind of channeled her and I spoke uh, about her. I'm dropping it in the YouTube chat. Yeah. Um, Did you get to share anything or? Uh, you know, well, yes. Yeah, so um, I think that the overall message from that first uh, ancient um, alien encounter in Japan was documented i think she talked about uh, look i wasn't there i wasn't there it's hard for me to say i just know that they documented her as being different and about some she had a box and inside this she kept holding this box and inside this box there was i think some treasure or some sort of pandora's box that's why they were very weary of her mm. because they were very careful about uh, what she had in this box they didn't know if they wanted to open it or not so there was a lot of mysticism about about that. But, you know, Japan is the highest place. I started doing um, CE5 here, Dr. Stephen Greer. I'm a huge fan. And I started practicing CE5 out here. And um, I did see ships and stuff in, in Japan. Actually, it's one of the biggest hotspots in the world for alien really? encounters. And, yeah. Really? Oh, have you guys not checked the, uh, the U.S. Um, – What's it called? They put a the Pentagon. They did the yeah, less people I want to believe. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Wow, I just got uh, booby trapped myself there. But they, according to their data, they do say yeah. Japan highest sightings. Wow, mm. interesting. I've heard Didn't your moon. That. I've heard your. I've heard your moon dog. No, I've heard your uh, alien stories throughout the years um, that you've shared on. The, this aeon bite so the idea of aliens uh in japan uh, yeah that's a whole thing i know so many amazing stories here that people have told me and um it's it's just incredible and you also do get sometimes with the way they interact um i i'm always i it's very alien to me like it's it's literally alien it's different like how they move and how yeah. they you know speak and the small gestures of their body so it's uh it's 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 you're right when you say that japan has an alien um energy i mean it is also an island uh, shaped as a dragon i mean can you get any weirder <laughs> you guys just book a ticket here now and uh come and experience the the amazing crazy dark light all of above <laughs> Yeah, and yet then they have the Ainu up north, the mm, Aboriginal yes. Ainu, who yes. aren't, you know, that they're, they're um, Caucasian apparently, they're white 
people? Well, they come from Russia and the Siberian uh, uh, snow. So you have, and the Mongols. So the Mongols also did come over. So they have a mixed, um, interesting mixed kind of, of, uh, of blood up there. And Hokkaido, you know, you've got, when I, when I, I've been up there a few times, they're different compared to the mainland, which we call Honshu, the main island, Okinawa people and Hokkaido people, energy, completely different. Uh, yeah. Almost like, um, Hokkaido people are a lot more direct. Um, they're just they're, being at the coldest place. They're a lot more warmer. Um, they're a lot more sexual up there. Uh, a little kinky. The hentai scene kind of lives up. In, <laughs> yeah, and um, what's it called? Um, Hokkaido, the main city. Uh, mind blank. Hokkaido, and there is the main city of uh, yeah, hot springs. Blah blah blah. What is the what is the main city? Sapporo. So Sapporo Sapporo is the main city where oh, they Oh, all the beer, you know. Exactly. So it's, just, <laughs> it's famous for Sapporo beer, Sapporo ramen and the Sapporo snow festival. But this no. town is also don't be fooled, that's the kinkiest town in in Japan. So get your hentai on over there. Very, <laughs> very kinky. Um, not a joke. And tie one on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's they have. It's a lot of sex up there. So that's a kind of interesting fact. Whereas down here, I mean, it's always you always see a little bit of hentai, but apparently up there is the the most. Which, um, yeah, hottest destination right now. Get beer and get hentai. But, <laughs> that movie um, House <laughs> must have been made up there. Do you ever see that House? House. It's a Japanese horror horror movie. Oh, okay. I see. Nineteen eighty-five. Yeah, potentially. I wonder where it was filmed. Um, where was it filmed? Let's have a look. In oh, in California. <laughs> really? I mean, California looks like it was in in Japan. I mean, it's you know they got the ancient Japanese house and the whole thing. It was subtitled. It was all all Japanese. Yeah, Strange. I'm serious. So. Maybe they might have done something. Oh no, House was filmed in one of Toho's lot. Wait, are we talking the 1977 of a 1985 House? 77, no. right? Uh, I don't know which uh, which uh, year it was. It probably 77. Looked that old. Yeah, no, actually, and it's about teenage girls that go on a summer trip. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. okay. Yeah, so we're actually yeah, that is Japan, and um, that is. Where? I wonder where they are. So that was filmed on, actually, it says Toho's largest set. So Toho Cinema is, um, they have these big, 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 it's actually in more in Yokohama, but it, they might have a set up there. I'm not sure. But uh, I've been on the sets. They're amazing. Oh, my God. Because um, I, I did um, Diner. I remember I sat in a movie cinema to watch a preview with just the director. Um, oh, I'll send you this, another. It's more of a modern, it's called Diner. And it's a modern Japanese movie. And I did, you can hear my voice throughout the, some of the songs. And I did a lot of the sound design and dialogue with my partner. Oh, and wow. um, I don't, I guess we'll do Wikipedia in English, but I'm just posting now on the private chat and also the public chat. Um, but if you do have a chance and you want to experience a, a modern Japanese film about a lot of killing, a lot of, um, but a lot of metaphors, a lot of Hugh Jorgens. Diner is an interesting one. It came out in 2019. And that was how I got to go on the Toho set here because I was 
part of the music and I sat in this cinema and it was a whole private cinema. It was so cool. And you see a big Godzilla at the entrance of Toho sets. <laughs> it's, it's just fantastic. Um, they really love their set design and, and um, yeah, Godzilla. Wow. Uh, that's a, that's a, that's an animal, huh? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Miguel, are you getting, are you capturing the stuff off the private chat here? Because I don't know if that exists after the stream closes down. I'm putting everything between both of them as well. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, it should exist. If not, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard because you don't really have a hub. You have what your website, but then mm -hmm. you're you're big in Instagram. You got YouTube. You're you're all over the place, man. Man, I am, and I'm reading the chat. Yeah, now. man. I'm man. Yeah, I'm reading the chat, and I'm um. Hirajoshi scale, uh, Carl mentioned, is uh, is quite a is used a lot in Japanese music. Yeah, Hirajoshi scale is um is beautiful. All the scales uh, I've been learning, I've been very lucky to. Yeah, exactly. I actually prefer um I prefer the the classic D scale. Um, when I play Japanese koto, I don't have it here. I'm going to bring it back soon. I would love to play for you live, but it's such it's like a Japanese it's like a harp, but instead of the the harp, it's a Japanese harp. It's a long piece of wood, as I was playing before. But I do, you can actually use this instrument to change the scale notes and um, to uh, create almost a kind of Western scale. And then it, with, but with the Japanese instrument, you can do so many things here. So Carl made a good point of um, using Japanese scales in Western music and vice versa. It is actually interesting. Um, there's one more song I do want to show you guys. Um, and I'm going to find it. It's a song about, it's a very underground song and it has a Japanese flavor to it, but it's, uh, got an, in, a Western scale at some point. Um, Japanese song about kids being used in slavery. Hold on. Slavery. Here we go. Okay. So this is the song about, there's a song that I just love and I want to play it. We need, it has to be the Alterlude song, Miguel. It has to be. Um, it has to be. It has to be because it's, it's an incredible song and I think that it's so underrated. No one in the West knows about it. I, there's no way to find it on YouTube. Hmm. I have to figure it out. So let's get this guy up. Okay, here we go. Yeah. So I'm dropping it into the private stream so we can have that as the outro. But in terms of music and Japan and, and storytelling and film and Gnosticism and mysticism, there is really no other. I mean, every Asian country, I would even say we need another episode from Mongolia, but still Japan has such a strong magnet um, called Jishaku um, that, literally pulls you and takes you on its whirlwind of a journey. Um, and I've been so lucky. And anyone who also I can see in the chat, many people who also really connect with Japanese culture and want to share their stories and and uh, people who maybe are yet to come to Japan. It, it's some, definitely somewhere where if you are Gnostic and you are into the mystic, you must come and experience it. Maybe we should have a, a Aeon Byte, um, a conference in Japan one yeah. time. That would be awesome. I'm getting sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I don't know how many people listen. I'll have to look at the statistics. I mean, a lot of people listen from Australia because it's mm -hmm. English, but I haven't seen much in Japan. 
it's a it's a i might am i it's japan has its own subculture actually the reason why the music industry is quite only domestically doing well is because they don't really want to branch out at some point so this album that i'm dropping on the 24th is a kind of big part of that new wave of japan coming now out um into the western music market so i will definitely send you all that details and, and please listen um, and only listen if you're fucking brilliant, though. That's that's the deal. So um, you'll have to decide that for yourself. I'm excited about your album. I think it's great. Uh, can't wait to listen to it. So going to be good. Going to be good. Well, awesome. Yeah, this has been an amazing chat. I have learned so much. And enlightened, as always, by your gnosis and all the stuff you do. And, yeah, we should do another on Mongolia and other, sta- uh, other stuff. But, uh, Vance, do you have any last? questions before we yeah, wrap I'm it up or... time, so. okay i think you're on mute you have muted yourself <laughs> he's doing the japanese silence uh, yeah. <laughs> Let it uh, yeah there you there. go silence yeah we had we had my dog that doesn't know about japanese silence so he was uh and <laughs> our dinner he's just jealous arrived. of the cats yeah you can hear him back there about the cat so yeah, I, I missed a lot of what Ryan was saying earlier because I got sucked into the Chitiko. But uh, no, no questions um, at this point. Except, oh yeah, the, the the Japanese ever hold slaves? Was that ever a thing in Japan? Uh, uh, they were slaves. No, did they have slaves? Oh, um, hmm. uh, possibly Koreans at some point. Um, oh. Yeah, that was a big thing between them. So listen, the, the song I sent because we'll as as we slowly wrap up, but um the song I sent uh actually is about a, a story about China, more, mostly China because of child slavery being uh quite big there as we all know. Um oh, Chester said something really nice. Thank you Ryan Miguel and Vance. And Vance cleaning out the riffraff. Love that. Um <laughs> There is, um, there's a lot of riffraff these days, but um, speaking of riffraff and child slavery, um, there's this amazing song we'll be playing soon that is uh, actually sung by, a, I think, a 10-year-old boy. You would not believe the voice on this child. And he's singing a song about being excited to go. His, his parents are taking him on a boat trip. And um, probably in Japan there were a lot of this happening too uh, in the early days where the parents would say, oh, we're going to go on a boat trip and we're going to go through the gate, the tori, and um, then when the child would get there, he, he's got all this excitement in his eyes thinking he's going to be going to a, a fun trip, but he ends up being sold to the new owner. Yeah, and the owner take him away, but there's a beautiful melancholy because he's sitting there on the boat and he's thinking, oh, uh, I, I'm... I'm on my way to somewhere fun and with this new person, but it's got this such sad overtone of they, he doesn't know yet. He doesn't know the pain of life yet. He doesn't know the pain of growing up, the pain of slavery, the pain of the demiurge, the pain of the matrix system. Um, right. oh, thank, Mod, thank you, Modwiz125. Um, really, I think that this song um, and this story of of being a child and passing through, but passing through with this naivety, you know, it's it's such a touching, profound um, uh, theme that we all go through. The best of us go through it. 
So um, mm-hmm. yeah, this song is a it's a crier, um, but it's uh, I actually this this is my next song of the next album I want to cover. So this will be a little clue to what I will be singing uh, next. Very underrated song, super secret. No one even in Japan knows this song. It's like underground Japanese music about kids being sold into slavery, but. If that answers your question, this song will. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. No problem. Ah. Hey, everyone's like, can we listen to the song now? Why don't we listen to the song? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. Intense, but, yeah, you got to keep it real because reality is so unreal. It is. So, it is. so happy you're spreading this stuff, this energy, this healing energy. So yeah. awesome. So as we get at the end, where would you like people to go check out uh, your album? Where will they find it? Where the usual places or yeah, um, where do you want to send peoples? Oh, I want to send peoples to my real life show and you can come in and you can stand, sit, do a handstand, whatever you want to do. And um, just <laughs> be right there with me. I may jump on you, uh, but that's okay. I'm just sending the website through. So my my Japanese project where I do half Japanese, half English is Rhyme So. Rhyme is my name, and that's also my solo project name. Um, but SO comes from my partner who is Shinichi Osawa, another fantastic figure in the Japanese music industry. Now, Rhyme So sounds like I'm so. So I play with the whole ego issue of the world of everyone going, oh, my God, like, I'm so, like, you know, like, I'm so... I don't know, I'm still like hungry, I think, but I'm like, I don't know, like this whole energy of <laughs> Good accent. self chatter. Uh, um, so I rhyme so sounds like I'm so, and all the content in this music project um is talking about uh social commentary, where your ego fits in, in the world, um, where yourself fits in. It's it's a good one, it's a good lyrical uh baseline. So, for example, I'm so fucking brilliant, um, and that's the exactly. This is I have an event coming up on the 17th of the uh, November, which is in one week, and we're actually holding a listening party in the theme of Matsuri. So, Matsuri is a festival every year. Well, it's it's means festival. So, with many Matsuris always around, and it's where you dance and you play the instruments and you do a little dance. Um, it's fun, fun, fun theme. So I have put up tickets on the website. If you do randomly, spontaneously just want to fly to Japan, come to this event in one week, but reserve <laughs> a ticket. Who knows? Someone may in the chat be like, that's it. I'm convinced I'm going. Um, but it will be this very fun. It. Yeah, it'll be very fun. And then the album will release on the 24th. And so the website, you can see all my singles that have been leading up to it, including the song Magic, which spelt with a K, that, uh, Mr. Alistair Crowley and a Vietnamese rapper joined in on. So that was the, and that's also in the image. Um, we have like a kind of half man, half woman uh, symbolistic thing. Now that song is crazy that you'll love that. Um, but yeah, all sonic goodness. My website is rhymerecords.com. I have a rabbit hole of treats and poetry in there. And then just type in YouTube rhyme so or rhyme, but you may get a lot of nursery kids rhymes. Uh, enjoy that too. Uh, just be careful which ones were made by Disney versus which ones were made by the Authentics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, awesome. I'll have something on the show notes. I already got a few links on the show notes, but I'll have it 
in the show notes when I put it uh, the audio version out tomorrow mm-hmm. or Saturday. I'll have those on the show notes too. So check it out. If you guys need more information, just email me or message. Advanced. Yeah, and there's, we'll there's send Spotify, you to there's Apple, there's all that stuff. If you want to just type in Rhyme, Rhyme So, go for it. It's uh, I'll come up and um, yeah, enjoy the music. Awesome, awesome. Well, this has been great. I uh, really enjoyed it. Vance, thanks for keeping his company and uh, wrestling with that Chitico. Yeah, never seen it like that. No, it was great. Rhyme, love your energy. At least I was getting that. I was basking in your energy as I was doing battle with the chat. So, purple energy. Send uh, me to <laughs> the royal. The royal. Yes, energy. it is in Japan. They consider purple as the royal color. And I swear you do not want to walk into my wardrobe because uh, you might be blinded by purple. I love it so much. Uh, I really do. <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. Ryan, as always, thank you very much for coming on the show. Look forward to your album, more of your magic, more of your gnosis, and I will tell my daughter to have a little chat with that ghost thing that keeps coming into her dreams. But Mm -hmm. she says it's better since I did the incense and the spells, and Mm -hmm. she talked about there was another woman who came and was helping her during her dreams. I said, oh, is it Sophia? And she's like, I don't know, Daddy, so but she is yes she's a full-blown mystic witch at eight years old yeah she's gonna she's gonna some have the vision like you yeah she's no she's gonna Mm -hmm. she's gonna go through and she's gonna find out who her angels are and who her deities are and it's gonna be so exciting for her and she needs that that space she needs to go into that cave and be left alone and figure it out i think the best thing you can do for anyone is is not explaining too much sometimes even you know and letting people figure it out for themselves i think when we deal with difficult people it's the only way uh for them to come to yeah listen listen yeah. to what they say they have their own language they exactly. know they're closer to the source than we are <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> all so, right well awesome Ryan. well thank you very much really i'm so happy that we got to chat and uh i hope you enjoy this beautiful song uh, as the outro i will i will all right everybody well thank you very much have a good rest of your week uh, cool shows coming next week on Moloch, uh, American Gnosis Part 2, and other stuff. So stay tuned. And as always, keep writing your own gospel, living your own myth. Take care, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.